0: Uh, years ago, uh, somebody told me today I wasn't young, but back when I was young, I won't say who said that to me, Suzanne, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but years ago, back when uh, I was younger um, and Amy and I were working in youth ministry at our previous church, we partnered with a group called Reach Out Expeditions. Now, uh, I think they've changed their name to Youth Dynamics, but they are a Christian ministry that works with youth, and it, they focus on using outdoor activities to teach spiritual truths. So they, they do things like take your river rafting or rock climbing, or they do wilderness survival in order to provide an opportunity to teach important truths about God and his word. And I was able to do two trips with them, one when I, when I was really young, when I was a youth, back in youth group, uh, and then as a youth pastor, I did a trip with them. And both times, my favorite part of that trip was rock climbing. Now... I never really got into rock climbing. You you can see this is not the body of a rock climber. Um, But I I really did enjoy that part of the trips. I enjoyed being up on the side of the mountain and working together with others and all the ropes and the gears and and trying to, you know, it's a a puzzle trying to figure out your way uh, up that rock face. Um, And and I enjoyed, I think, even more going, coming back down, rappelling back down. I always thought that was a lot of fun doing that. But as much fun as I had doing all those things, uh, the thing that I remember the most about the rock climbing was not the climbing itself. But instead, Burned Into My Brain is a lesson that one of the guides taught us while we were climbing. You see, the guides who work with Reach Out Expeditions, they're experts in whatever they're they're teaching, whether it's rock climbing or river rafting, etc. But they're also Christian brothers and sisters who love Jesus and love discipling people. And so one of the guides who was helping us learn how to rock climb, he he gave us a great spiritual lesson. He explained that that when you climb, you always want to have three points of contact. So you don't want to try to move a hand at the same time you're trying to to move a foot. Uh, That that makes things kind of unstable. So you just move move one at a time. And and always having three points of contact, that makes your connection to the rock, the rock face, that much more strong. You, You fall when you get in a hurry and you only have two points of contact. But as this guide was explaining that, he went on then to compare that three points of contact to the Christian life. First, he shared that as Christians, we need to be people of the word. We need to be regularly in the scriptures. Amen? We need to be people of the word. That's one key point of contact we Christians need to have with Christ, the ultimate rock. And then he went on to explain that we also need to be devoted to prayer. And that's another key element for our lives as Christians. We need to be living lives of dependent prayer. Amen? Dependent prayer. Rejoicing that fellowship that we have with our God. That's the second point of contact. But then he said this, and again, I still remember this. He said, sadly, that too many Christians overlook a third point of contact. And that third point of contact is our relationships with other Christians. Our relationships with other Christians. It's important for us, brothers and sisters, to be involved in a local church. That means more than showing up on Sundays. But being involved in a local church. It's important for us to be building good Christian friendships. And it's important for us to have other believers in our life to walk with us, to encourage us, and to challenge us. And that guide, he used rock climbing to point out all three elements, those three points of contact, the word, the prayer, prayer, and, and the church, Christian relationships. And he said, well, you know, when you have all three, you have all three points of contact, you're, you're much less likely to fall because you have a better connection and a better grip on the rock. All these years later, I still remember that, that little analogy from rock climbing. And it sticks with me, one, because it was a really good illustration But it also sticks with me because, um, remember as I heard it, I'd I'd gone through, I was a youth pastor at the time, but looking back, I had gone through some real times of struggle in my life with that third point of contact. Last Sunday, um, as I started the message, I shared some of my testimony with you. Let me share a little bit more with you this morning. From ages 13 to 16, uh, I had some really good years of being involved in our local church. Um, I, I went to church with my mom and my sisters pretty much every Sunday. We were really involved in our youth group. I had really good relationships with our youth leaders and with the other students in the youth group, 13 to 16. But then, because of some issues uh, with my dad, we left that church. And we, we tried other churches, but then life got busy, and I stopped being involved in church pretty much altogether. Now, here's the thing. I still was reading my Bible. I had a journal. I would write prayers and things I would learn from the Scripture But I really struggled with just two points of contact. I really struggled. You see, what had happened in my life, I replaced those those good Christian friendships that I had with other friendships. Friendships that encouraged, uh, my mom's over there going, yes, you did. Uh, Friendships that encouraged other pursuits, destructive pursuits. And here's the thing, I I tried, I tried to hold out and still be the good guy in that group. Uh, I remember one occasion, um, when I was 18, a bunch of my buddies said we were gonna go to a strip club I didn't go in with them. I said I went and I hung out at the Taco Bell, next door. But eventually, I didn't hold out on all the things that those friends were pursuing. I started pursuing, you know. Eventually, gave in. I started pursuing right along with them, and I ran after some pretty destructive, some pretty sinful relationships and activities. That led me into some pretty dark places. But <laughs> praise God. God used the grace of Christian relationships. He used the grace of Christian relationship to bring me back to a place of walking with him. Through, through a good friendship that I had with a pastor's son, a guy named Jason. And through uh, my relationship with my now wife, Amy, and her family. God used all of them in my life to show me how far I drifted. And, and the blessings that I was missing out on. I still remember the first Sunday that I went to church with Amy and I listened to her dad preach. Now, I thought I was just going to church because I get to hang out with this cute girl. And, you know, because that's what Christians do, and I hadn't been doing that. Uh, but that Sunday, uh, her dad preached an expository sermon from the Gospel of John, and I still remember sitting on that sermon and, and just being blown away by how absolutely starving I was. And I don't mean physically, spiritually starving. He, he preached for his usual 45, 50, 50 minute sermon, and it, it felt like 15 minutes. It really did. It felt like 15 minutes, and and I just drank everything in like a dried-out sponge, And, and that's what I was spiritually. I was so dried out, and that was the beginning of God bringing me through those relationships through that church back to himself, and as I shared last Sunday, he brought me all the way to surrendering to his call upon my life for gospel ministry, but here's the thing. I can't imagine doing what I do now with all the challenges week in, week out of ministry I can't imagine doing those things without those three points of contact. I can't imagine. I, I need to be in the word. I need to be in prayer. And I need brothers and sisters in Christ. I got to tell you, I, I love Sunday mornings. I love Friday night dig. I love getting together with, with Christian brothers, going out for coffee, or having families over at our house to have dinner, just connecting. I need, I need those times. I need those times. I need those connections. I need that point of contact. I know. I'm going to stand up here. Here's my confession. I know I would never make it alone. I would never make it alone. And here's an important truth we were never meant to. We were never meant to. We were never meant to, we never meant to make it alone. See, this is true for every single one of us. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. We got to show John Wayne the door, right, Buck? <laughs> But that, that John Wayne mentality, that I can do it all by myself mentality, it has no place in the Christian life. It shouldn't be there. I know that. But I also know it's a struggle for us. Amen? It's a struggle for us. It's a struggle for a lot of us to connect with other people. For some of us, it's a struggle because of the way we're wired, our personalities. Maybe this will surprise some of you. Uh, but I'm more on the introverted side of the spectrum. I'm more on the introverted side. Um, I feel more comfortable in the background than I do up here. I'm more comfortable in the study than I am in a crowd. Uh, Having that time alone to think, to to reflect, um, that's important for the way that I'm wired. And here's the thing I know several of you are the same way. I know several of you are the same way. But, brothers and sisters, especially those of you who are more of that camp on the introverted side, we need to be so careful. We need to be so careful. What, what God says about man in Genesis chapter two, that it's not good that the man should be alone. That's not just for marriage. That's not just for marriage. We were made to be in relationships. That's part of the way that God created us. Being alone all the time is not healthy. It's not healthy for us. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, neither is our busyness. Our busyness. That's another reason we struggle to build relationships. Amen. We're so, so busy. Now, here's the thing. Don't misunderstand me. It's good for us to work and be productive. That's part, again, part of the way that God created us. Amen? We worked before the fall, right? It's part of the way that God made us. But when we, we are so busy that we have no time, no place in our life for meaningful relationships, meaningful Christian relationships, we are headed in a dangerous trajectory. We're living in a dangerous way. And here's the thing. We're living in a dangerous way. And brothers and sisters, we're also fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. To be completely transparent with you, I think that's probably the biggest reason why we struggle to pursue and to build good, meaningful Christian relationships. I say this in love, but it's our foolishness. It's our foolishness. We foolishly think that we don't need other people. We don't think we need one another. We think that we can do it all by ourselves. We say... I understand. I should be a Bible study, but I just don't have time. Don't have place in my life to do those things. I don't have time to get together with other Christians. I like to, but you know, get together with other Christians one on one. I have time for that, and I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay. You're not. We're fooling ourselves if we think we are. We're fooling ourselves thinking that we can safely climb through this life with just two points of contact. Brothers and sisters, we're fooling ourselves because we're not truly seeing the way that the gospel changes us. The way that the gospel changes us. As I as I've been saying the last couple of Sundays, the gospel rescues us from from us. And part of the way it rescues us from us is helping us to see that we need other people. We need others in our lives. Part of God's grace to us is the grace of being in relationships with other objects of grace. That's part of his grace. We as Christians need each other. Amen? We need each other. We need each other. That's one of the things we're going to see this morning as we return to to Paul's testimony, his gospel autobiography in the opening chapter of Galatians. So if you haven't done so already, take your Bibles and turn over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Now, over the last several Sundays, we've been looking at Paul's gospel transformation. We've been watching, as Paul shows us through his testimony here in Galatians 1, we've been watching as he, as he shows us that the real gospel really changes us. The real gospel changes our real lives. When, when the real gospel invades your life, things change. You don't stay the same. And Paul is putting forth his life as exhibit A of this reality. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Paul isn't making this point in a vacuum. He isn't telling the Galatians about his testimony just because, you know, he wants to fill up the page. He needs something to talk to them about. Instead, he's telling them about how the real gospel really changes us. He's telling them that as part of his defense for the gospel that he preaches. Now, remember, for those of you who've been with, here with us we have been talking about this, that, that the people to whom Paul is writing this letter... Uh, these churches they were being invaded by false teachers. Uh, Jewish teachers had come to these newly planted churches in the region of Galatia, and they were, were telling the folks in these churches that paul 's gospel, the gospel that was preached to them, the gospel that they believed paul 's gospel was actually a truncated gospel. They were arguing that Paul left stuff out important stuff, Jewish stuff, stuff like circumcision, and obedience to the Mosaic law. They were telling these these new Christians that if you want to truly be accepted by God, if you want to truly be holy, you need to add all this law-keeping into your faith in Christ. These Jewish teachers were teaching a a works-righteousness gospel, that you're accepted by God because of the things that you do, gospel. And to to further get the the hooks of that teaching into the Galatians and, and to further strengthen their attack against Paul's gospel, These Jewish teachers were attacking Paul himself. They were claiming that Paul made up this gospel of grace. He made it up. They were claiming that it was either a creation of Paul's own mind or the teaching that he had got from other people, the gospel teaching. He lost something in the communication. He he messed it up. So that was their attack. Paul's gospel was truncated. It was a confused gospel. But as we've been seeing the last several weeks, uh, Paul pushes back on that attack. And he fights back by showing how the real gospel came to him and how the real gospel really, really changed him. Look at what he writes here, starting in verse eleven, Galatians chapter one, starting verse eleven. For I would have you know, brothers, let me correct what's been told to you. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel; it's not man-made. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it how through a what revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel came to Paul, not from some human source, not even from his own mind, but it came to him as he saw with his own eyes the risen Christ. He saw the risen Christ and he saw the risen Christ as he was on the road to Damascus. And he was on the road to Damascus to do what? To go persecute those who were preaching the gospel of grace. He writes "Look at starting verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. So those who were preaching the gospel of grace, I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism, in this works righteousness system. He was trying to do all these things. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He, w- he was zealous obedience to the Mosaic law. He was zealous to prove his own righteousness. You see, Paul was at that point he was not a he was not a he wasn't a preacher or a fan of grace. Instead, he was an adversary of grace. But here he tells us in the midst of that place, in the midst of that opposition, he was then attacked by grace. He says, look at verses 15 and 16. But when he, he us all the things that he did, the direction he was heading, but when he, when God, you see, see God's grace invaded Paul's life when Paul was in the midst of this self righteous pursuit. But when he, he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me. See God, from His own sovereign free will, apart from any works that Paul had done, He chose. To reveal his son, he chose to reveal Jesus to this self-righteous zealot. And when Paul saw Jesus, he saw the heart of the gospel. He saw the heart of the gospel. He saw that salvation wasn't about our works to please God. Instead, it was about trusting in God's work, the work that God accomplished in Christ to save us. Jesus lived and died, spared and rose on the third day in order to earn, to accomplish our salvation. And so we're saved by faith in his works, not in ours. It's a gift. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. Not not Christ's work plus some of our stuff. The finished work of Christ alone. And when Paul saw Christ... He saw that. He saw that it was all true. All these things he'd been attacking, this gospel of grace, it was all true. He'd seen the risen Christ. And so here's the thing. The gospel is not something that Paul was confused about. It was not something that he came up with in his own mind. This, This other thing isn't working for me, so let me come up with this thing over here. No, instead it was the truth that he had beheld with his own eyes as he saw the risen Christ. It was the truth that it invaded his life. And when it invaded his life, it changed his life. It changed his life. The real gospel had really changed him. And last Sunday, we began looking at, at how it changed him. We saw that it changed both, both Paul's purpose and his power for life, both purpose and power. Paul explains, look at verse 16, that God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. See, the, po- the purpose, the, the focus of Paul's life changed. It changed. He went from being this adversary of the gospel, now preaching, Jesus is the Messiah. Look to him and be saved. And here's the thing. He didn't just preach that message to people that looked just like him. He just preached that message to his fellow Jews. In a radical departure from Paul's former life as a Pharisee, he now went to Jewish, non-Jewish people and preached the gospel to them. And that meant that he spent time with, he ate with, he hung out with. He lived with people that most zealous Jews would cross the street to avoid. Most Jews, especially Pharisees, viewed the Gentiles, those non-Jewish people as unclean and defiling. You don't want to spend time with them. Not because of the gospel. Paul simply saw them as fellow sinners in need of the same saving message of grace. And Paul's life, here's what I want you to understand. Paul's life became grounded in that focus. God, God through the gospel, he rescued Paul from living life just about Paul. You know? And and God gave him, instead, a gospel-focused calling. He gave him a purpose and a mission. And this purpose and mission that was there in Paul's life, guess what? It's the purpose and the mission that Christ gave for all of us. It's the mission that he gave to the church. Go and make disciples of who? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe, to do all that Jesus commanded. That's, that's the mission of our church. Why are we here, brothers and sisters? Why aren't we home in glory right now? That's our mission. That's the mission of the church. And guess what? If you're a Christian, you're part of church, then that's your, your mission. That's what Paul's life, because of the gospel of grace, became grounded in the mission of the church. He became grounded in that purpose. He had been rescued by grace and he wanted others to be rescued by it too. Do you? Do you want others to be rescued by grace? Paul did. Paul did. His life was grounded in that mission. But also because of the gospel of grace, Paul knew that he couldn't pursue that mission in his own power. He couldn't pursue it in his own power. Now, here's the thing that had been Paul's way before the Damascus Road encounter. He had been all about resting in his own ability, his own effort. But when he saw Christ, when he realized that Christ is his only hope, Paul saw the emptiness of his own effort. And it flipped his world upside down. And that led Paul to go away. As Paul says, look at the text here, starting back in verse 16. When God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles... I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia. Out into Arabia. As I explained last Sunday, guess what's out there in Arabia? Nothing. (laughs) Nobody. It's empty. It's wilderness. Paul went out there to be alone. Paul went out there to be alone, but he didn't go out there to be by himself. And what I mean by that is, is, I believe Paul went out there to be alone with God. That's often what we see in the scriptures when people are out in the wilderness, right? They're learning to trust God, learning to rest in God, learning to depend upon God to lean into His power, and that's what Paul was learning. He learned how to live a life fueled by not his own power, a life fueled by a God-centered power. You see, when the gospel invaded Paul's life, he tells us, "I didn't run to men. I didn't to run to other people. I didn't head off to Jerusalem. Instead, I ran out in the wilderness to be with God." He needed to learn to trust him, to rest in him. He was learning how to live a life fueled, not by his own power, not by the power of other men, but a life centered in the power of a relationship with God. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. That's something that a right understanding of the gospel should produce in all of us, right? Because the gospel should bring us to the end of us, right? You realize I'm a sinner and I have no hope of saving myself. Amen? Amen. I need Christ. I need the power of God. I need the ministry of the Spirit. I am weak. The gospel shows us that. And so it should naturally lead us to live a life fueled by a God centered power, not our own. Amen? That's where it led Paul. Out there in the wilderness. But as I mentioned him being out there in the wilderness, don't get confused about time, Paul's time out there in the wilderness. He he didn't stay out in the wilderness. Paul didn't embrace a monastic lifestyle. He didn't join some exclusive commune or take vows of silence or embrace a life of isolation. Here's the thing. We're not to be of the world, but we are to be in the world. So so Paul went out in the wilderness to process, but then he came back because he had a mission. He had a mission. Do you notice? Look at what Paul says here in the end of verse 17. He says, I went back to Damascus. He says, I returned again to Damascus. Now remember, again, that's where Paul had seen the risen Christ, on the road to Damascus. We read about that over in Acts chapter 9. Actually, take your Bibles for a moment, and we're going to come back to Galatians, but go over to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And here, what we read about in Acts chapter 9 is is after Paul saw the risen Christ, um, he was blinded by the glory of it. He was led by a hand back into the city of Damascus, and he was told he was to wait for a, a guy named Ananias, and eventually Ananias came, and he prayed over Paul, and Paul regained his sight then Ananias gave Paul a word from the Lord about Paul, and, and Paul was then baptized as a Christian, went public with his faith in Jesus the Messiah. But then look what Paul tell, or what Luke tells us, starting down in the, the second half of verse 19. Second half of verse 19, Acts chapter 9. For some days he, Paul, was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name and called upon Jesus? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul, which was Paul's Hebrew name, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. Here's the thing. We don't know if those events happened before Paul was out in the wilderness or, or after he headed back. Luke's not clear here about where Paul's time in Arabia fits into the narrative. But look at the text. He does go on to say, starting in verse 23, When many days have passed, like, like time away in the wilderness and then coming back to Damascus. When many days have passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. You see, I believe Paul had gone out of the wilderness and come back to Damascus. And as he was there in Damascus, the Jews grew grew tired of this guy. They grew tired of this guy preaching the gospel of grace. They grew tired of this guy confounding them in the synagogues. He, they grew tired of him proving that Jesus was the Messiah. They grew tired, and they said, we've got to get rid of this guy. So they plotted to kill him. That's what happened, I believe, when Paul went back to Damascus. He, he went back because of a gospel-focused calling, and he embraced a Christ-proclaiming boldness. A Christ-proclaiming boldness. He was so bold in preaching the gospel that his opponents were trying to kill him. But we read here, look at verse 24. We read of a daring escape. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket he got away. I, I kind of get the picture from this that Paul wasn't a big guy. God bless us, the littler guys. <laughs> Put him in a basket and lowered him. Maybe it was gospel mobility. But Paul escaped. Here's what I want you to to grab a hold of. That close call didn't lead Paul to curtail his boldness. Um, Going through something like that, I mean, real deal, life's in danger. They have to put you in a basket to smuggle you out. Uh, That might cause a lot of us to go, I'm going to rethink my activities. I'm going to rethink my place in the game here. Quiet down. Not Paul. Not Paul. He, he had seen the risen Christ. He had been transformed by the gospel of grace. So this guy just couldn't keep quiet. And here in Acts 9, Luke goes on to tell us that Paul then headed to Jerusalem. Oh, the Jews are angry with me? Well, let's, I'll go to Jerusalem. <laughs> you see that in verse 26. Now, Now, back in Galatians, Paul says the same thing. He says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. And that was probably after three years of ministering there in Damascus preaching boldly the salvation is in christ alone but here in acts 9 luke gives us a little more detail than paul does there in galatians or at least some different details he tells us look at verse 26 and when he when paul had come to jerusalem he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. who is this guy isn't he the guy that's just throwing everybody in prison um go find a different church paul <laughs> but barnabas don't you love barnabas the son of encouragement But Barnabas took him and brought him to the other apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Here's Paul. More preaching, more boldness. And he spoke and disputed the Hellenists, the the Greek-speaking Jews. And they were what? Seeking to kill him sounds familiar, doesn't it? Verse 30. And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. That's where Paul's from. Paul, go back home. (laughs) Go minister there. But but why I walk us through all this is it shows us that Paul was a man who preached the gospel with courage, with conviction. His life, wherever he was at, was characterized by a Christ-proclaiming boldness. And here's the thing, that marked his life, not just for a few weeks after he had this experience, not just for a few months, not just for a few years, that marked his life for, for the rest of his life, for the rest of his days. The gospel had changed him. The gospel of grace had really changed Paul. And you could see it, you could hear it when he spoke about Jesus. He spoke with passion. He spoke with conviction. He spoke with confidence because he understood what in the world had happened to him? He understood that in Christ, God had done everything necessary to save his eternal soul from certain judgment. He understood that he was saved by grace alone. And he knew that this gospel, this is the only gospel. There's only one way. There's not a bunch of ways. This is it. And he knew this is the only gospel for, for everyone. Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, doesn't matter. It's the only gospel for everyone. So guess what? That means everyone needs to know. Amen. Everyone needs to know. So Paul's life was characterized by boldly letting them know. We say, "Amen. Good job, Paul. Here's a question: What about our lives? What about our lives? Let me ask you this question. Has your, has your boldness to proclaim Christ kind of faded over your years as a Christian? Here's what I mean. Did you start out on fire, you know, when you first came? I got to tell everybody, this is amazing. But, you know, the 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 longer I'm a Christian and the more I know things, it just kind (laughs) of fizzles out. Does that happen to you? Are you still eager to tell people about what Christ has done? Are you? Do you have that Christ proclaiming boldness? Does it characterize that guy just doesn't shut up about Jesus. <laughs> Are you as excited to share the gospels when you first understood it and believed? If we truly understand it, if it truly has changed us, shouldn't it show? Shouldn't it show? But maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's, we struggle to be bold because. Unlike Paul, we don't live our lives grounded in a gospel-focused calling. We're living for other stuff. Or maybe we struggle because we're still trying to live our life by our own power. Right? Still trying to live by our own power. Or maybe we struggle to boldly proclaim Christ because we're still trying to do this Christian life thing all by ourselves. Because we're still trying to do it all by ourselves. You see, in the midst of Paul pursuing this This gospel-focused calling and resting in a God-centered power and being characterized by a Christ-proclaiming boldness. Those first three ways we looked at the gospel changed his life. Paul also, in the midst of those things, he was also building and being strengthened by genuine Christian relationships. And that's the fourth way that Paul's life was transformed by the gospel. Instead of pursuing Christians to persecute them, this guy's hunting down Christians to fellowship with them. That's a big transformation, amen? It's a big change. We see that here in Acts, but Paul also says that back in Galatians. Now go back to Galatians chapter 1. Let me show you this. Galatians chapter 1, and, and look here in verse 18. Paul gives us a little more details about his time in Jerusalem. He tells us about 15 days with the apostle Peter. He says, Look at verse 18. I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is the Aramaic form of Peter, and I remained with him 15 days. Let's think about that must have been a really cool 15 days. <laughs> oh, to be a fly on the wall listening to those two men talk. Apostle Peter, Apostle Paul. Now, here, uh, Paul doesn't tell us exactly what they talked about. However, I think we can be pretty certain that they didn't spend those 15 days just chatting about trivial things. <laughs> Amen? Can, can you imagine Paul traveling to Jerusalem, you know, risking his life, going into the center of Jewish opposition, only show up at Peter's place and say, Hey, Pete, I'm here. What's your favorite sports team? Let's talk about that. Or, hey, Pete, how's, how's that bathroom remodel project coming along? I heard you were working on that. How's it going? Or, you know, hey, how's the wife? How's the kid? Everything, everything good? Everything cool? Cool. Uh, I doubt that that was the bulk of their conversation. Now, here's the thing. Don't Mister, me. It's not wrong to talk about those things. And, and Paul and Peter might have chatted about regular guy-type stuff. But I doubt that that was the heart of of their conversation i said i think paul was there to talk about jesus talk about christ he, he'd seen the risen christ and so had peter but peter had also had three years walking with jesus before the resurrection i imagine paul had all kinds of questions about that what was it like to watch him calm the wind and the waves what was it like being in the garden What was it like when he locked eyeballs on you and you were betraying him? What was it like around that charcoal fire when he restored you? Imagine he had questions about those early days, of the church in Jerusalem. The vision bracing the Gentiles, that sheep being let down from heaven. And I imagine Peter had all kinds of questions about, for Paul. What was that like on the Damascus Road? What's this like? Imagine there was a lot, over those 15 days, I mentioned there was a lot of late nights and powerful conversations all centered on, on Jesus. One thing that Paul is making clear here in Galatians is that those conversations were never about Paul going, Hey, Peter, help me understand the gospel. Or, Hey, Peter, what do you think I should do with my life? Now, Paul's making clear here to the Galatians and to us that he didn't go to Jerusalem to be commissioned for gospel ministry or to somehow learn what the gospel was. That had already happened in Paul's life. Christ had already made those things clear to Paul, to Paul's commission and his message. So, so Paul hadn't gone to Jerusalem in order to get trained or be sent. Instead, he sought out Peter to build a Christian relationship. To build a Christian relationship. And here's the thing. You, you look at Paul's life. Those kind of relationships mark Paul's life. Paul was not a guy who tried to go to try to climb with those just two points of contact. I mean, guess what? Paul knew the scriptures better than any of us. And he had seen the risen Christ, but he wasn't just going with two points of contact. He wasn't just going with two points of contact. He wasn't a lone ranger Christian. Here he is spending time with Peter. And back in, in Acts, in Acts chapter 11, we read that he became part of the church in Antioch. That didn't mean he just showed up on Sundays. He became part of the church, part of the life of the church. Next chapter 13, we read that he was part of a team of elders. He wasn't the lone guy. He was part of a team. And when he, he went out to plant churches, when he was sent out as a missionary, he always went out with teams. First it was, it was he and, and Barnabas and John Mark. And it was Silas and Timothy. And then it was, it was others. And just, just read Paul's letters. At the end of Paul's letters, all those names, those lists of names, those are all people that, that Paul had relationships with, genuine Christian friendships with those people. Paul was not a lone ranger Christian. Now here's the thing. As you read Acts and you read Paul's letters. You see that relationships were not easy. Always easy for Paul. Paul was, oh he's just a relationship guy. <laughs> no it wasn't always easy for Paul. Paul had some sharp disagreements with other people. Paul, Paul was abandoned by people. Paul was betrayed by people. And here's the thing. And I'm just kind of speculating a little bit here. But Paul doesn't seem like he was always the easiest guy to get along with. Seemed like a guy who had a bit of a strong personality. But because of the gospel, Paul loved people. He loved people, he loved his fellow Christians. And so he pursued intentionally deep, godly relationships with them. He didn't say, Well, I hope somebody comes and pursues me. He intentionally pursued deep, godly relationships, relationships that that were marked by mutual spiritual benefit. Paul was edified through his Christian relationships, and he edified others through his Christian relationships. And just look at his relationship with the Philippians, or with Timothy, or even with these these Galatians who were struggling so much. He loves them. He loves them. He longs for mutual edification. We'll see that when we get to chapter 4. He wasn't giving up on these folks. He wasn't the a, a, you know, frustrated apostle and I'm just, just going to do it by myself because these people are so frustrating. I mean, think about the Corinthians. If there's ever a church that you just go, okay, those guys can <laughs> figure that stuff out on them. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't leave them alone. He didn't give up on relationships. He didn't go, buy, go up alone by himself. And he didn't do that because that's not the way of the Christian life. That's not the way of Christianity. Here's the thing. The gospel calls us not simply into a relationship with God, and that is amazing. But part of the blessing of that relationship with God is that flow into that relationship with all of God's children. Amen? Not just a relationship with God, a relationship with his children. The gospel makes us part of a family. And so we're to love God's children, all of them. Those ones that we, quote-unquote, connect with, they're, they're just like us, you know? They're, they're going through our same life stages. We're to love them. It's easy sometimes to love them. But we're also to love the ones that we don't quote unquote connect with so easily. The ones that are they're different. From that. that person's weird. Well, guess what? I said it last Sunday. We're a bunch of beautiful weirdos, aren't we? And it's, it's wonderful to connect. Those people are so different from us, but we share this mutual life through Christ. We're to work to build relationships with other Christians. What it worked to build relationships with other Christians. Paul did. He traveled all the way to Jerusalem to connect with Peter. When it probably would have been a lot easier and a lot safer just to go back out in the wilderness. Right? But he went all the way to Jerusalem. Into the, the heart of opposition. To build that relationship with Peter. What it work at maintaining relationships. Maintaining relationships with other Christians. Again, Paul did. He wrote letters. He went back and visited churches that he'd been in previously. He gathered together regularly with Christians of all kinds. Paul was a guy who was committed both to the local church and the universal church. He worked to repair broken relationships. Sometimes we're we're too quick to bail on those things. He worked to repair those. And he worked to build depth in his current relationships. And all of Paul's relationships were focused on Christ, focused on living out the gospel together. Paul blessed other Christians through his relationships with them. And we're all to do that. We're all to do that. We're all to do that. That's part of how the gospel changes us. It rescues us from simply living life for us. And it calls us to live life in God's grace for one another. It calls us to love as God loves. It's tough to do that out in the wilderness all by yourself, right? It calls us to forgive like the Father has forgiven us. It calls us to sacrifice like Jesus has sacrificed for us. It calls us to minister, to serve in the power that the Spirit gives to us. Each one of us, as part of the body, are connected with one another for the good of all of us, for the good of all of us. We're here for one another, not just for us. We're here for one another, for the good of all of us. We're here for all of the good of all of us. Here's the thing. We're not just here for the good of all of us. Most importantly, we are here in this Christian life for the glory of God. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. Right, brothers and sisters? It's all about the glory of God. And that's the last thing, the fifth and final thing that Paul's testimony shows us here. That's, that's the fifth element of Paul's gra- gospel transformation. He shows us that the real gospel changed him by, one, grounding him in a gospel-focused calling. Two, Fueling him with a God-centered power. Three, characterizing him by a Christ-proclaiming boldness. Four, strengthening him through genuine Christian relationships. And five, giving him a life lived for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Look at what Paul says here. Paul says that after his time in Jerusalem, look at verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia... And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Glorified God because of me. And here's the thing. Paul isn't bragging here. He is simply pointing to the radical change in his life and the end that it produced. They glorified God because Paul embraced a gospel-focused calling because he did so fueled by a God-centered power. Because he went through Syria and Cilicia, preaching Christ with boldness, strengthened by genuine Christian relationships. Because of all that, it culminated in people looking at Paul and glorifying God. And here's the thing. Some people don't even know what Paul looked like. See, this wasn't about Paul building some kind of celebrity. The cult of Paul. Instead, it was about God's grace, God's grace, God's glory. Paul's life had become this amazing story of grace invading the reality of the sinner and transforming that reality into something beautiful. Let me ask you an important question. Is that the story of your life? God's grace has invaded your reality as a sinner and transformed that reality into something beautiful. Is that the story of your life? here's the thing if the real gospel has really invaded your life you better believe that's your story amen better believe that's your story the real gospel changes our real lives it rescues us from us from our selfishness from our destructive sinful pursuits from our secret sins from our isolation from our self-absorption it rescues us from us and it gives us something so much better It gives us something so much better. It gives us a life of grace. It gives us a beautiful life of grace. Just like we see in Paul's life. The gospel gives us a better purpose. The gospel gives us a better power. And the gospel makes us part of a better community. A community that's not all do, do, do. But instead, a community that's about people rejoicing in the fact that God has already done it all. It's all done. It's all finished. And here's the thing, the end result of people living from that place, not do do do, but rejoicing and it's done. The end result of people living from that place, a place where their lives are transformed by grace together, is God is glorified. God is glorified. So here's a question for you: is that what people see when they see your life? Is that what people see? Do they see this transformation of grace? Do they see real change produced by the real gospel? Do they see that person is different now? Not because they quote unquote found religion. Because they've seen Christ for who he truly is. Their savior and their Lord. And life has changed. Let me ask this question. How about your fellow Christians? Are they seeing what God is doing in your life? Are they seeing what God is doing in your life? Let me ask you this way. Are you letting them see what God is doing in your life? Or are you too distant? I don't really have any close relationships and nobody can really see what's going on. Or are you too hidden? <laughs> I wouldn't want everybody to see all the things I'm struggling with. Are they seeing what God's doing in your life? Are you letting them? Or are your Christian brothers and sisters clueless about what God's doing in your life? Brothers and sisters, as people of grace, we need to be open and honest and connected with our fellow people of grace. Amen? This this American individualistic, you know, idea, it's just me by my loan, so I pull myself up my bootstraps in this American way. We need to kick that to the curb, brothers and sisters. We need to live lives with one another, open, honest with one another, so that we can rejoice in what God is doing and glorify God. Amen? We need to be open and honest with one another. And here's the thing. You may be struggling. Well, I don't know if I want everybody to see. Guess what? <laughs> we're all sinners. Amen? Amen? We're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? Amen. There's not one of us in here. I Maybe mean, you might be able to say this, but you'd be wrong. say, I, I, I'm a Christian because I'm such a great guy. No, we're sinners who desperately need Jesus. We're weak people who struggle. So why not let everybody in on what we, ever, we already know? <laughs> Right? We all need Jesus. So so why not pursue that together? Why not pursue that together? Why not let the gospel of grace push us beyond what we're comfortable with together? Let let God's grace push us from, from living for ourselves. Let it push us from trusting in ourselves. Let us push it push us to boldly proclaim Christ. And let's do that together. Let it push us together. I mean we can try to go it alone. You can do that. You can try to climb with just two points of contact, but here's the thing, you don't need to. You don't need to. And In the end, that's not what God has called us to. That's not what glorifies him. He's not glorified by a bunch of lone ranger Christians unable to work together and unwilling to live life with one another. Instead, he's glorified by all of us, from all the different things that we come from, all the different things that we've been through. All of us together rejoicing in how the real gospel is really changing us. That's what glorifies God. He's glorified by people who rejoice in the way that the gospel is not only changing them as an individual, but changing all their brothers and sisters around them. So are you part of that? Are you part of that? Is that what the gospel's doing in your life? I tell you, I, I long for that in our church. I long for that in our church. I long for people of grace being radically transformed by grace. Walking through that journey of grace with one another. Transparent with one another. That's, that's what God has called us to be. He's called us to be people whose real lives are being changed by the real gospel together. The real gospel really changes us. The real gospel changes our real life. So let's, let's pursue that, brothers and sisters. And let's pursue that together. Let's, let's begin this morning, by celebrating our salvation together at the Lord's table. This is not just part of our service. This is a place where we all come together and we all confess we're sinners. Amen? When we come before the table, we confess that we are weak. We come before the table and we confess together that we are desperate for Jesus. We confess together that he is our only hope. As we take the bread... You know, each one of you taking it, but together we're taking the bread. We all confess that we have failed to live a sin, sinless life. We failed. We take the bread. We confess that. But, but we also confess, praise God, that Jesus lived it for us. Amen? He lived it for us. As we take the cup, we all confess together that Holy God has every right to judge us for our sins. If, if you hear about the sin of a brother or a sister and, and you're just shocked, oh, how could they do such a thing? Your sin, my sin, put him on that cross. So as we take that cup, we confess together that our failure to live a sinless life has earned us condemnation and judgment. We, we deserve it. But again, we confess together, praise God, that Jesus took it for us. Jesus took it for us. Together we proclaim our faith in Jesus. Together we proclaim that we are, just like Paul, part of a people saved by grace alone. Amen. Ask the men to come forward for this time around the Lord's table. Let's go before the Lord together in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all the stories in this room. The stories of the way that somebody who was preaching Christ, whether that was in person, whether that was on the radio, whether it was in a book, it was on a Sunday morning, but all the stories in this room of how somebody preaching Christ, how you used that to bring us to yourself, and how you changed us, how you transformed us to glorify the Father. I thank you for all the stories in this room, and I thank you that as we come together around the table, we we are all confessing our stories. But I pray, Lord Jesus, by the ministry of the Spirit, that you would help us get over all the things that keep us from sharing those stories with each other. Our past and our present, what you're doing with us day in and day out. I pray for my brothers and sisters here, those of us who... Maybe feel like reaching out, building relationships with others or maintaining relationships. It's really exhausting for us. I pray that you would help them to see that it is not good for us to be alone. That you have blessed us with this family and that you will grow us through those relationships together. So I pray for my brothers and sisters today and this week and the month ahead. By the Spirit, push them beyond what they are comfortable And push them to pursue relationships with other Christians. And I pray for those who are here this morning who feel like, well, life is just way too busy. I pray that you would help them to see that sometimes our busyness is a is a device of the adversary, this world, to keep us from one another, to keep us from living the life you've called us to. I pray that you would help them to see the ways in which they can discipline their time to be building those meaningful relationships that we all need. Again, Lord, we thank you for making it so clear. We we can't climb well with two points of contact. So I pray for all those here that are are trying to do that. Help them see the blessing of relationships with other Christians, the calling to that. And I praise you for giving us that. I praise you for making us part of the family. I praise you that as we gather together on the table, we gather together as a family, rejoicing in your finished work. So, so feed this family now as we gather at the table. Feed our hearts in the truths of the gospel. Feed our hearts in the truth that it is finished, that you have done it all, and we get to rest in you. Oh, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. These things we pray in your name.